0: Um, my name's Brett. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And we are in a series. I think it's the fourth week um, of a series called For Us, where we're, we're talking about that, um, kind of clinging on to a verse in Romans 8 that says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And if we could just pause for a second and remember that God is for us, that when God thinks about you, you are someone that he is in your corner. He's on your side. He wants to move on your behalf. He cares about you. And maybe it's easy to think about God as a little bit removed. I'm someone far away um, who maybe did something for people a long time ago. A long time ago. But today, he's, he's on your side. He's for you. Maybe it's even, easy for some people to think about God is against them, God is opposed to who they are, but not if, not if we believe what our scripture says, that God is for us. And we talked about how, uh, I think on week two, that God um, has Jesus, uh, Jesus in God praying for you, that he carries us to the Father. And last week we talked about that he advocates for us, that he stands beside us, that he walks with us through difficult things. That God in Jesus advocates for us, that God is for us in, in pretty amazing ways. But something that, as I go through the scriptures, and especially as I read about Jesus, you know, God in the flesh with his people, that might um, raise some questions for me is some ways that he interacts with the disciples that would, that would cause me uh, to scratch my head a little bit. And I would just want to take a look at, at a pattern. That we see um, in the person of Jesus, through all scripture for sure, but in the person of Jesus that, that gets my attention around this conversation of God being for us. So uh, this isn't so much taking a scripture and diving deep, this is kind of taking a theme that runs through scripture and zooming out and, and seeing it on the whole. Um, so hopefully you can track with me. But just, just, to, just to pick one to start um, a familiar passage to some of us, Matthew 16, starting in verse 15, is a conversation where Jesus is having with his disciples. And he says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means, um, Petros, means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound uh, in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now that feels like Jesus being for us, doesn't it? That's like, oh my gosh, that, that's a big deal. And then, and then he continues, and this is where my head scratch starts. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, the guy that just got The woo, you're awesome speech. Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Let me just tell you, if you ever get your finger in Jesus' face, it doesn't go well from there. You know, rebuked him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. I'm going to take up mine. You must take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now Jesus made a quick move there, from something that really felt like you're for me. And then all of a sudden, he called Peter Satan to his face. That's, a, that's quite the U-turn, wouldn't you say? And maybe we see this pattern regularly, Um, With Jesus, where where there's this this sweet moment and then this hard moment, back and forth and back and forth, like in the scripture that we read earlier, uh, Jesus is, is taking his disciples through Samaria, which is not where they wanted to be. Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. There was a regular time in many Jewish worship services that they took time to curse the Samaritans. How would you like if in our regular worship time we took time to curse Canada? And he's taking them through Samaria. They have a serious history of bloodshed and trouble, the religious and political differences, lots of tension, because the world has changed so much that politics and religion cause problems. And and he's taking them there and he stops at a well in the middle of the day and starts talking to this woman, his disciples have gone into town to get thick burgers, they come back and they find Jesus talking to a woman and they're like, you're not supposed to be doing this. By the way, we brought you some food and he starts pushing on him. He says, I have food to eat you know nothing about. And in this like walking with them, he's also challenging them. I could point out that pattern throughout most of the gospels. But just to highlight a few more, just so you don't miss it, here's a quick list. Matthew chapter uh, five, Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount, challenging his disciples on who is blessed. Because they all think these are the people that are blessed and Jesus says no, it's not the wealthy and those that have power and those that have it all together and, and those that are super religious, it's the poor and the mourning and the weak. They're the ones that are blessed. He's pushing on his disciples, next. Um, he, he, who do we welcome? <laughs> his disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, there's a whole bunch of these sweet, cute kids that want to come spend time with you, and you can so that you can bless them. But don't worry, we stopped them and told them you don't have time for that. And Jesus says, What? No, I want I want them here. And he he picks these kids up in his arms. I'm sure he gets this sweet little girl in his arms, and he puts his hands on her head and he blesses her. Like who do we who do we welcome um, next? Uh, who do we denounce? In another space, they come back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we found this guy that was performing miracles in your name, but he's not one of us, so don't worry. We shut that down. And Jesus is like, what? <laughs> no. No, that's not, that's not what we're doing. We don't denounce people just because they're not a part of our little tribe. Right? Um, uh, next. Uh, what do we focus on? His disciples are sent out. Uh, this is such a, he sends them out to do, to do miracles themselves, um, to send demons away from people, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I mean, this is a big moment of trust that he sends his disciples out. And they come, out really, come back really excited about um, the showy stuff, about the, the miracles and the demons fleeing and all that. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that but that your name is written in the book of life. Like, what do we focus on, right? Um, Next, Uh, who should be a servant? All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is pushing on his disciples um, about that we do not take authority like the world takes authority and boss people around. When we have authority, we serve. We lay our lives down for people. Um, Last, when they come to attack Jesus, to arrest Jesus, Peter, the, the caffeinated disciple um, who's always acting first, um, he grabs a sword, tries to chop a guy's head off that's arresting Jesus, he misses, gets his ear, Jesus heals the guy and corrects Peter and says, that's not how we respond. As disciples of Jesus, we do not use force when we're attacked, that's not what we do, right? And constantly, Jesus throughout all of his time with his disciples, and you'd think they'd get it, they had years with him, years with him, not like visiting him once in a while. They regularly heard each other snoring. Like they lived life tightly together. Regularly, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. He says, we don't do it that way. We do it this way. We don't do it that way. We do it this way. We don't do it that way. We do it this way. Over and over And over again, Jesus has this regular flow with his disciples, people that he loves very much, but he's not afraid to push on them. Now, that's an interesting kind of relationship, isn't it? And maybe one that we can be a little allergic to because if you you just turn to scripture and you pick out just a passage where he's correcting them, you might think, wow, that guy's really tough on them. He's really tough on them. But if we also see all the places that he offers himself to them and makes space for them, it kind of changes the whole, the whole dynamic. Um, an author that I like who writes about discipleship, his name is Mike Breen. Uh, he has a kind of a framework that he uses to talk about how discipleship works. And um, kind of a grid, you know, um, X axis, Y axis. I had to ask the team which one's X and which one's Y. It's been a while since I did anything math-y, um, and uh, you know, maybe on the, on the y-axis, if we could talk about high invitation and low invitation, a relationship that, that has high access and transparency and trust and vulnerability, high invitation, you can know me, versus a relationship that has low invitation, kind of closed off, a little bit removed, I'm not gonna let you too close. And then on the other axis, if we have high challenge to low challenge, like I'm going to push on you, I'm going to set boundaries for you, I'm going to say we don't do it that way, we do it this way, and I'm I'm going to be clear about that, all the way to low challenge, which is we are just too uncomfortable bringing up the tough stuff. We don't do that in this exchange. And how those things kind of work is like in the um, in the quadrant down here, low challenge, low invitation. Maybe we could we could just call that the "What's your name again?" box. They're like that. I know I've seen you. I know we work together. Has anyone ever had this? You have worked with someone for years, but you've been together too long to ask them what their name is. Right, right. And you see them at the grocery store, and whoever you're with, and they wave at you, and you wave at them, and, and someone you're with says, "Who is that?" And you're like, "I don't know." I do not know. I just know what extension they are, you know? And um, like, I don't, but that, that's, maybe we could even say that's not a relationship. And most, most of the people we know are down there. That's okay. We can't have everybody in all those boxes, right? Most of the people we know are low invitation, low challenge because we don't, we don't have the relationship, right? But then there are some relationships. Maybe we could say they're high invitation, high trust, high access, but they're low challenge. Maybe we could just call this your hangout buddy. We spend a lot of time together. Maybe we even share, maybe we talk about things that are kind of important. But we're never able to talk about the hard stuff. And if I say something that you think you should push back on, we just don't do that, right? High invitation, high trust, high love, low challenge. Um, Maybe on, on the opposite end of things, high challenge, High challenge, low invitation. Maybe we could just call that the personal trainer. I don't like like someone that you don't you don't really know each other. You don't have access to their life. I'm sure there are some personal trainers that are great, um, but this is I'm I'm what I have in mind is what I'm scared of if I were to hire a personal trainer, and that's I would go to the gym and I would have for an hour someone saying lift it, do more, and I'm like I don't want to be here anymore. I, I wanna go home. I'm gonna get a smoothie that's mostly ice cream on the way back to that. And, like, and, um, and, and as soon as I leave, I don't have any connection with, with that individual anymore. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, but then there's this special place. High invitation and high challenge. High access, high love and trust and a large amount of, we get to challenge each other. And that is the space of transformation. That is where change happens. And and here's the thing, Uh, I think depending on how our culture, maybe I'm being overly simplistic, and maybe this is just how it's always been, what we want is we want our people, for us, to be in the high invitation, low challenge. I want you to love me and accept me and never challenge me. But for those people, those people over there, what I want is I want high challenge and low invitation. I want to be able to like shout over the fence everything that you need to change about your life. But you have never eaten at my table. You've never eaten at my table. You don't know how to help me unload my dishwasher and know where the forks go in my kitchen. I just wish you were different, right? And and that's how we get these, like, culture wars is the people in my corner, I want to love me and never challenge me. In fact, if we could all just sit around and talk about how we're all right about everything, that would be awesome. We could probably get entire cable news channels devoted to that. And I want to be able to tell those people high challenge No access, no trust, no invitation. And Jesus will have none of it. Jesus will not go for either option. He wants high invitation and high challenge with us. We don't do it that way. We do it this way as I walk with you. The language that I have for that is the language of a coach, a good one. Someone who knows what it's like to have that kind of relationship with people. High invitation and high challenge. So um, today, I invited, um, just to interview a little bit, um, Coach Tom Matukowicz um, at CMO, (laughs) and yeah. Apparently, they know who you are, that's good. Um, So Tom, um, head football coach at CMO here in town, and um, thank you for being willing to hang out. And, uh, and spend a little bit of time with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me.
0: Yeah. How, how long have you been at SEMO?
1: Going on my 10th season. This is really kind of a year for me, so I'm going to turn 50, 10 years at SEMO, and this is my 30th season.
0: That's great. And you've had a lot of success since you come in. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that depends who you ask.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so t- tell me from the coach's side of things. Um, how do you see the relationship of trust and coaching? And how do you how do you get trust? How do you keep trust?
1: Man, trust is is everything. Um, I think you said it right. It's how you how do you earn trust? I believe you should love everybody. We should be freely loving everybody. But I think you make people earn trust. Yeah. And so, how do you earn trust? And Trust is vital. All of the highest performing teams have have some of the deepest levels of trust. And so when you unpack that, what does that look like? And basically, it's how others experience us. Um, When you look at it and if you hit trust on the head with a hammer and you broke it open, in our opinion, at SEMO football, you'd find three things uh, character, connection and competency. Hmm. It's hard to trust somebody that has low character. And so what's character? Character is alignment between what you say and what you do. Make your yes mean yes and your no mean no. I think Jesus' brother said that somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, If I say, hey, babe, I'll be home for dinner, that means I'll be home for dinner. And so sometimes you got to just make sure you're not, you got to be careful what you say because people need to be able to count on that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then competency is very important. It's hard to trust a coach if he's not very good at what he does. It's hard to trust your financial planner if he's not very good at what he does. It's hard to trust your father if he's not very good at being a father. Yeah. And so those two are easy for me. Like at the end of the day, I'm all about character. I'm all about being good. But the third C is just that connection piece. And, and, and that's hard for me. And, and people have different levels here that they may struggle with but at the end of the day you can't care about something you don't know you can't have commitment without connection it's it's literally asking them how they're doing and actually caring about the answer and so i think if we're at a space where there's high character high competency and high connection you're going to have a deep level of trust yeah but you can't lean on your authority or your title if someone says hey trust me that that that's a bad start to that conversation, right? Right. Um, you know, when you asked me about trust, the first thing I, I thought about was my wife and I are married eight years before she trust me enough to have a baby with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'm the guy who should be up here talking about trust. Linda,
0: Linda's not dumb. Yeah, she's, okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess I'm what you call in my profession a, a, a late bloomer. Yeah. You know, but... Um, I think when you could get all three levels there, uh, I think that's how you earn trust. And yeah. that's how mar- mountains are moved. Yeah. Nothing significant's getting done without deep, deep levels of trust. You, don't, you know, if you don't have a real deep relationship, trusting relationship with your, with your spouse, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's probably not that good.
0: Yeah, which takes time, right? For it sure. takes investment. So if you notice that you have a player that is resisting challenge, like they just aren't up for being challenged and they kind of balk or they back off or they get aggressive or they, you know, what, what is that cue for you about maybe what's going on in them or what you need to do or how to engage? Other well, than to say, hey, remember that scholarship thing? That, that could go away.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's the, that's the piece. Some, some of those are easy. I'm the head coach and you're the player and he expects that kind of accountability and he expects that rebuke, but what about your wife? What about when there are levels that you're same on a, a coworker or a peer, and so that's when it's really challenging. Um, number one is you just remind them about what we agree on. Like at the end of the day, we say we want to be this, or we say we want to do this. Is that still the case?
0: So you come back to mission. Mission. Right? So yeah.
1: is it, are we is and this still what we're wanting to do? And then you got to reverse engineer that and help them understand that the, their current path and their current decision making is not leading to what we all agreed on.
0: Right, right, that's good. So w- maybe from the player's side of things, um, or maybe from your staff, how, how could we be more coachable? Like if, you were, if someone said, Te- teach me how to be coachable so that I can have that high invitation, high challenge, how can I move up into that space of transformation?
1: I would say three things. Number one is lose the, lose the ego. That, that is your biggest learning disability there ever is. Because it doesn't like truth, it doesn't like light, and so you gotta lose the ego. Coaches are tough with this. You know, By nature, we're criticized, and so what we do is we put up all these walls, and, and there's, and I've been like this, I would rather be right than win. And that's where it's wrong. You know, at the end of the day, it's not who's right; it's what's right, right? And then just be a lifelong learner. I think there's this uh, expectations that you should just be great at things. Like I got my head coaching job because I was an assistant coach. Well, what makes you assistant coach doesn't make you a good head coach, right? Right. And so life is going to ask you to continually get better. You you got to grow when you change your role. Hmm. My daughter started dating. I've never been the father of a daughter that dates. So I have to grow, right? And uh, I'm not doing a very good job of that right now. Still trying to get through my feelings, but I have to understand that, that you you don't just come out of the womb knowing how to be a good father, right? But I think we we get in, we want people to think I'm good, right? Right. And so that's ultimately um, some of the problems why we're not coachable. And just refuse to accept any holes in your game. Like, at the end of the day, you want to be coach. like, don't accept anything. Like, well, I'm just a hothead. Well, that DNA doesn't exist. Right. Stop saying that. Right. At the end of the day, you need to build skill, and you need to be able to handle your emotions. All right? And so we need to walk through what that looks like. And it's just like any skill set. The more you do it, the better you get at it. But it all starts with just being humble.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank can we, you. Can we say thanks to Coach? So I don't think I have to stretch too hard to lay that on top of the conversation we're trying to have about our relationship with Jesus. Right? If, if we're going to sign up for this, and, and that's what being a Christian is, it's signing up for discipleship, I mean, we've got to be able to lose the ego. We've got to be able to be a lifelong learner and not get to the point where we're like, eh, that's enough. I think I'm like saved enough, you know. Like that we keep going. We stay humble. That's the key to the whole thing. I love that um, we did not talk through his, his answers ahead of time, but ego is the biggest learning disability that there is. And, and I got to tell you, that goes as much for me and my walk with Jesus as it does for a player that's working hard on a field. And maybe just one other example um, that we could walk through like in, uh, in John um, chapter six, which is a fantastic, the whole chapter, is, is laid out in this conversation, really, between invitation and challenge. And it starts where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Like, there's all of these people that at that point, by the way, are called disciples. There, there's all of these people that come to him, and, and they're hungry. And what does he do? He feeds them. That is invitation. That's time. That's trust. That's investing in people at an unheard of and unexpected level. Right? He earned trust. He spent time with them. And then, verse 38, he starts teaching this group. He goes to the other side of the lake, and they're like, where'd the guy that fed us go? He's over on the other side of the lake, so they follow him over there. And, um, and he starts teaching. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, but I will raise them up on the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble. He's saying some challenging things about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. That's challenging. This is about me. And they said, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? They're like, dude, we were there when they changed your diapers. You know, who do you think you are? As the conversation goes on, verse 53, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I just want you to imagine this. Erase all that you know about like Christianese language and just listen to somebody saying this, stark." Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Are we in the invitation space or the challenge space? He's saying some things that are challenging and he's expecting them to push in. I want you to push in. Verse 66, at this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, the crowd was up for the invitation side of Jesus. He loves me. When he started saying things that were challenging, hard, and unexpected, they left. And he goes back to the invitation thing. Do you hear how like tender this question is to to the twelve? You don't want to leave, too, do you? He's like he's he's tender. And Peter says, "Who else is there to go to? Who else is there?" You have the words of eternal life, which, interesting, the word words there, two Greek words for the word word, logos, which we get the word like logic from, um, is not the word he uses. So he's not saying it's your ideas that give me eternal life. It's rema, it's conversation. He it says, when you, when you talk to me today, it fills me with life again. He said, because you have earned trust with me, because you've given me space with you, I'll follow you even to the hard stuff. There's no one else to go to. I'm sticking with you. Let me, let me just ask you, where is Jesus challenging you in your life right now? Or maybe have you stopped growing? And you've decided that this is far enough, it feels comfortable enough. He loves me, he feeds me. He says some things that I like. That's far enough. Where is Jesus challenging you right now? Um, To steal a quote, uh, Daniel Seinball helped me put the sermon together. Um, He he had a, a quote from Matt Chandler, great pastor in Dallas, who says, this discipleship is a constant confrontation with Jesus in which Jesus always wins discipleship, this is a great, is a constant confrontation with Jesus in which Jesus always wins. Where is Jesus confronting you right now? And are you letting him win? And if you don't know the answer, that means you have work to do. That means you're missing out on the conversation. Maybe I'm in that space a lot of the time. And here would be two things that I would say. One is you need some people to help you on your journey. You need some people around you that can help you with the invitation and challenge. People that you have that kind of relationship with. High invitation, high challenge. By the way, um, we have a, a kind of a way that we do that here at LaCroix. We don't talk about it a lot um, because we just don't want people that aren't up for high invitation, high challenge to get in them um, because it kind of messes up the whole thing. But if you are up for that, email me you can, I'm assuming you know how to like find an email address on a website, email me and I want to talk to you. Um, If you're up for relationships with others that are high invitation and high challenge in your pursuit of Jesus, but I I would invite you to get in on that. Secondly, get in his word. You need to get in his word and in that confrontation, you need to let him win. You need to let him win. Because Jesus wants to set you free. He is for you. He has plans for you. He wants to set you free and he doesn't want you to miss out on freedom. I I was um, with a couple that many of us know and love in the front parking lot um, who had just gotten a really challenging diagnosis and they were leaving to go get um, and start chemo in St. Louis and we're praying for this woman's healing. And her husband, in wrapping up prayer for her healing, he said, but God, that is not our first desire. Our first desire is for you and your kingdom. Nobody gets there without a life of high invitation and high challenge with Jesus. I want to get there. I want to get there. So we're going to come to the Lord's table here in a little bit. And as you are coming down, I would just ask you to have this prayer on your lips as you're coming down to receive the body and the blood. As Jesus said to people, anyone who wants to be my disciple must eat my flesh and drink my blood. It means must take who I am down deep into me. I want you to have this prayer on your lips. Pull me close. Call me up. High invitation, high challenge. Pull me close. Call me up. Could we maybe say that together? Pull me close. Call me up. Maybe that can be on your lips as you come forward for communion today. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. Pull us close and call us up because you're for us. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you liked this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.